Good evening and welcome to Soho Theatre on Sunday the 24th of November 2013 for No Pressure to be Funny. Created by Alistair Barry and Nick Revel and podcasting on the British Comedy Guide. Yes, No Pressure to be Funny. The acutely perceptive satirical show that decided to bank with the co-op for ethical reasons. <laughs> and tonight we are coming to you live from the Soho Theatre in London. I mean, it's not quite Hull, but it'll do. It has been announced this week that London Underground will be opening 24 hours a day from 2015, which is very handy, as it will give the 950 staff they're sacking somewhere to sleep. <laughs> as always, we start proceedings this evening with some music. This week, it's our most regular music guest, and still the only one to have a forest named after him. Please welcome James Sherwood. <laughs> When I look at the world, all its beautiful creatures, the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the plants and the trees soaring above us, my heart is filled with one special thought I'd like to share with you Take a look at this green crap I'm at the end of my wits Won't you look at this green crap It gets right on my tits Who bought all this green crap Who do we have to thank got rid of this green crap we could build another bank I care about the future my son and my daughter are the dearest things that I own but why should I care about fresh air and clean water I can always get those at home I hate all this green crap it bores me to tears once you start growing green crap That shit lives for years Are you hot for all that green crap? It just leaves me cold Renewable green crap Just spreading like mold When I'm told to save energy I just switch off It's not cause I'm uncaring at all I care for the energy company's profits And I cry every time that I fall That's why I hate green crap Since the day I was born Climate change is just green crap I like feeling warm If you spout all that green crap Then I'll show you the door Those who care about green crap well, they're just a bore, like Al Gore and Michael Moore and the poor. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, James Sherwood, actress and comedian Tiffany Stevenson, has appeared in The Office on Nevermind the Buzzcocks and was runner-up on ITV's Show Me the Funny. ITV's Show Me the Funny has returned, but this year it's just footage of Matthew Wright covered in cockroaches. 
Comedian Nick Doody has written extensively for television and is head writer and creator of Biggiepedia, which is a Radio 4 comedy show rather than a proclivity. Uh, Pordrick Reedy is the news editor of Index on Censorship, which is an organisation... <laughs> which is an organisation that campaigns for free speech rather than the bit at the end of the big book of censorship. And <laughs> comedian, podcaster and writer Andy Zaltzman on the end is one of the world's leading cricket statisticians. He has, he has been up watching the ashes for four days straight, so we're just delighted he's awake, if, if a little traumatised. Ladies and gentlemen, our panel. And now, to get things rolling, proposing the motion that the, uh, the devil's advocate believes that bankers don't take enough cocaine, please welcome to the stage Alistair Barry. Thank you, yes. Uh, and ironically, I'm doing this with a blocked nose. So. <laughs> the devil's advocate believes that bankers don't take enough cocaine. As you are no doubt well aware... Thousands of column inches this week have been given to the perks of being a Paul Flowers. Incidentally, columninches.com is also the name of his favourite website. <laughs> yep, that's the level of satire we're talking, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't it marvellous when a lay preacher is found buying methamphetamine and the headline, Crystal Methodist, just writes itself? Well, it's got more of a ring to it than the Amphetaminister, although with further questions being asked about £70,000 worth of suspicious expensive... Expen Start that one again, one, two, three. Well, it's got more of a ring to it than the Amphetaminister, although with further questions being asked about £70,000 worth of suspicious expenses claims, maybe we could just call him the Vicar of Fidley. Well worth the wait. <laughs> David Cameron is being accused of attempting to use the affair to smear Ed Miliband, which strikes me as a dangerous tactic for a man whose former head of communications is currently on trial for phone hacking alongside his former country supper, no pun intended, companion with whom he also had a six-year affair. Right now, there is an enormous amount of mud singing going on, but it's very hard to see who's at fault because everyone's covered in mud. <laughs> Mr Flowers does seem to be a bit dirtier than most, but let's face facts. If you could feed the words drugs, religion, prostitution, banking and gay porn into the Daily Mail story creation computer, it would probably overheat in its excitement. <laughs> it only needs one of the rent boys to have been an illegal immigrant and the whole thing would explode. Tabloid outrage to one side, there are serious questions to be answered, such as how someone with no experience in the financial sector was allowed to become chairman of a bank. For those of us who've been watching the industry recently, a lack of expertise would seem less of a problem and more a prerequisite. If anything, someone who presided over a £1.5 billion hole in a bank's finances due to bad debt, whilst enjoying cocaine, prostitutes and porn, seems positively overqualified. Throw in the expenses claims and he might as well become an MP. As we are always being told, what our economy needs right now is confidence. And if you can't find any in our politicians, business leaders or institutions, then why not buy it in powdered form? In much the same way that Catholics believe that the wafer becomes the body of Christ, perhaps a few toots can transubstantiate into the ability to run a major financial institution. <laughs> Christians call it breaking bread, with the possible exception of Paul Flowers, the Crystal Methodist, for whom I think we can all agree it is now well and truly breaking bad. Thank you very much. Yeah. Alistair Barry, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>
Alistair touched on this, uh, the, the notion that somehow there's a remarkable facet of the story. A banker has been consorting with prostitutes and taking drugs. That's, that's more dog bites man than, than man bites dog. Uh, Andy Zaltzman, what do you understand the Reverend Flowers' gravest offence to have been? Well, I don't see he's uh, made any offence. I see him as a, an inspiration uh, to, to us all. Um, because, you know, there's been a lot of controversies over banking and all the disasters that have emanated there from uh, for the global economy over recent years. And personally, I find it extremely reassuring to think that top-level bankers are monged off their nuts. <laughs> I find that far less disturbing than that they actively with a cold, clear mind, um. decided to act in the way that they have. I'd much rather they were totally, totally off it. I, th- I think that is far more reassuring. And also, it's much easier to deal with that problem. Because rather than having to a per- a genuine personality change defect, a fundamentalist yes. belief on economics, <laughs> you, you can just <laughs> put, put them in rehab. In the, um, <laughs> this is a slightly cheap shot, but isn't he too fat to be a crystal meth or crack addict? He does. He does. He does defy the hollow cheeked stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> He's got all his own teeth, I believe. I it's don't. Not, it's not all about his body, Tiff. It's not a piece of meat. <laughs> Do we know that he's an addict, or is yeah. just just something? Because that guy in, in Canada, the mayor, Rob Ford, he, he admitted doing crack cocaine. But he said, uh, I probably did it during one of my drunken stupors. <laughs> that, that was his defence. <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> well, defence. You know what I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> the New York Daily News um, ran a story last week about Ford. And um, it's a friend of mine uh, who's a journalist also put it on, um, on his Facebook saying, imagine being able to write this, these opening three words. It was, Toronto's crackhead mayor. Uh. It was like the <laughs> joy of it. And we had a long conversation about whether it would technically be libelous. To no. say that someone was a crackhead. I think that is. Because, See, I think he's technically not a crackhead. But <laughs> he, he's tried it once. But he is somebody who puts himself in the position that when somebody says to him, do you want some crack? He goes, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> he's crackable. He's crackable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is the but distinction. But is it, is it supplying or was it intent to buy? Because there seems to be some confusion over that. If he was supplying, who? he is not. Are we talking uh, about the Paul mayor Flowers. of Toronto or the former chair of the co-op bank? <laughs> <laughs> Paul Flowers. There, there appears no. to be confusion. No, it was, a, it was a classic Sunday newspaper sting. So yes, but he's, hmm. he, they've since said that there's a possibility that he's supplying. He might, well, in, in essentially case, he was buying it to share. I don't think he was buying okay. it to turn a profit on. I mean, crikey, I had the lawyers listening to this. He was definitely <laughs> buying it, and he counted out all the 20s, but he'd been stitched up in the style of... Uh, well, do you know, part of me wants to say a good old-fashioned Sunday tabloid sting, but I appreciate with current events unfolding in the High Court, we probably shouldn't be <laughs> waxing too lyrical about good old-fashioned Sunday tabloids. But no, I'm just it, worried about him. because I know you are. I he know hasn't you are. read Biggie's Ten Crack Commandments, <laughs> and one of them is don't get high in your own supply. Yes. That's one of the top ones. <laughs> do we have any idea how he ended up being chairman of, of, of the Co-op Bank? Well, I like the idea that Cameron Cameron has make kind of sort of said, "How did he get the job?" Because it's it's not through qualifications, and the idea of a conservative <laughs> judging someone getting a job through connections rather than actual talent and ability yeah. is amazing. He didn't he didn't even go to Harrow, I think David Cameron <laughs> said. How on, how on earth did he end up running a bank? Not going to Eton, fair enough. He could still run the old bank. It's only the co-op, Northerners Bank. There, we don't want to run the bloody co-op. But he didn't even go to Harrow, this bloke, and he speaks with a regional accent. What the fuck is he doing in a boardroom of a bank? Apparently, Cameron might have said. I think I understand. <laughs> 
I don't think I understand the concept of being unfit to run a bank. Well, this is but the point. Who isn't is it? there out there who's fit to run a bank? Rob Ford, Mayor of Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. I mean, you think sometimes, I do anyway, that there is a sort of chutzpah involved in propelling yourself into that sort of job, which is why, as, as, as Tiffany hints, you sort of expect it to be someone born in, with a silver spoon and a sense of entitlement. I genuinely had a conversation with someone from David Cameron's year at Eton recently, and the laziest... I choose my words carefully here because it would be you'd be able to work it out. The, the la- I'll change the country. The laziest boy in the class, the laziest boy in the whole year, the one who who, who spent most of his school days stoned. They said, "What what what, what happened? What, what, what happened to him?" I said, "Oh, he's running a bank in New Zealand now," <laughs> and that that is almost true, apart from <laughs> apart from the New Zealand bit. But this chap. He, he came from nowhere. He didn't even f- complete his banking exams. He sat in front of the Commons Select Committee and said, well, I, I, I finished part one of my banking <laughs> exams. Does anyone have the vaguest idea how you, how you, how you get a gig like that? Well, he was born with a silver spoon up his nose. <laughs> <laughs> that would have helped. Staying with bankers, Boris Johnson, and mayors, actually, but not, not crackheads. I, I think of us shitheads, maybe, but not, not Boris Johnson. We should worship the rich, he has said this week. Um, apparently, without inserting his tongue into his cheek, or I, I suppose even more remarkably for Boris, without inserting his tongue into anybody else's cheek. <laughs> he, he, he has, he, he's sort of described the rich as paying so much tax, which is sort of statistically true, Pordrick, that we should all doff our, our, our caps, tug our forelocks. He didn't quite put it like that, but he, he described them as an oppressed minority. Now, you are in the business of speaking up for <laughs> oppressed minorities. Have you... Have you focused on the super rich yet? Massively, obviously. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, these, are, these are people who suffer greatly. I mean, it, it is plenty absurd. The, the interesting bind that the, the, conserv- the current Conservative leadership has is, is you know, they are, what Conservatives are constantly told we should look at the American entrepreneurial system, yes. we should go for things, and, you know, everything's set up and you, you just go for it and do it. Um, and none of these people have ever had to, you know, set up their own business or anything like that. They're, they're, they're you know, it, it's overwhelmingly possible but I, I just I don't understand it's, we've taken the language I think of oppressed minorities so far now that you know the idea that you know white upper class men can be the real oppressed people um, <laughs> is deeply fascinating and, and, and there's, there's the whole I don't know if you've seen the kind of the men's rights movement yes is incredible it, it is the most that's otherwise known as steak and blowjob day. Well, it's not even that. It's, it's. I mean, at least that's honest. But this, but these Wasn't people are just. Player? These people are just. Win- when when was it? A set of demands. These people are just bloody whinging, and it seems yes. you know you set yourself up now as you know the whingiest person. As you say, I've, I've worked with people you know in genuinely properly oppressed countries, genuinely properly oppressed people, and the one thing they very rarely do is whinge. Actually. They tend to be weirdly the most offhand, cynical people who don't even believe that they're ever going to change anything. Mm. And they will sit there blithely and tell you about the time they were sent to jail and the time that their newspaper was, you know, attacked by the government force. And then they'll But they never kind of go, poor me. They're going to fucking had to do it. Well, maybe <laughs> that's why they're oppressed so much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd look at it in a, from a mathematical point of view. Um, how, how many people in the world, you might know this, probably, uh, live on less than $2 a day, yeah. roughly? But, I mean, it's lots, isn't it? Billions. It's, it's, billion. it's, it's, it's billions. Now, how many billionaires are there? Mm. There's not very many. Yeah, you know, not very many at all. So which is, the endangered, which is the endangered? Which is the endangered? 
<laughs> yes. You know, if we don't look after them now, within 50 years, they could be no multi-millionaire yeah. banking executives left Save in the wild the at all. Yeah. They'll just well, be all in, they'll just be a cage in London Zoo, with three of them, <laughs> looking awkwardly at each other, trying to eat a penguin or something. We'll have to set them up for mating like pandas. <laughs> Well, I don't think Boris will need any help setting up, <laughs> setting up for me. Oh, just half, half a bottle of Pinot Grigio and a, and a willing Sloan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do, is, it, is it for real? I, I, you know, he is such an interesting character that, that he comes out and says, we really should treat the super rich like an oppressed minority. He's, uh, he's only exaggerating that line, which, which is being increasingly perpetrated that is, is if you do anything to make life more difficult for rich people we will all suffer because it won't it won't trickle down so it's basically the delivery boy for a blackmail note yes, That's what that yes. Makes it. yeah i think so yes yeah. but but i think there, he actually there's a theoretical means it. underpinning to this that um, a lot of people uh, Bring up. He he actually mentioned this. Something called the Leffer curve, which is this amount that if you increase taxes after after a certain point, you actually get less revenue, and that's yeah. what George Osborne also uses as an excuse to cut the top rate of tax. But no, what no one ever says about the Leffer curve is in every experimental model they've done, or most of them, it's about seventy percent tax mm. is the point at which you start getting diminishing returns. Really? So, yeah. So that you only see the graph. Yeah, you just it's say that it exists and don't mention where the turning point is. Like, 70, oh, we've got to cut it for billionaires. 70% yeah. taxes. Because yeah, I've always 70. struggled to see the bloke who, who, who gets up on a Monday and is going to earn £100,000 and give £50,000 of it to the taxpayer and comes out all, all guns blazing and uh, phones up Paul Flowers' dealer and gets absolutely sorted for a day at the office. And then he wakes up on a Tuesday after the tax has changed and he's only going to keep £45,000 and it's all better off he's staying in bed and he's, he's, never, he's never ever going to work again. That's the Laffer curve, is it? That's when it actually hits 70% he'll stay in bed. We think. We Fair enough. And what, what's the threat that they won't put money back into the community or yes. spend it? Well, they, they don't anyway. But they don't anyway. That, that, that's the Poor thing. If you want do it, that. Exactly. If you want money going back into the community, give it to people who have to spend it because they need like food or shelter. Don't bother someone who's just going to build an ice sculpture of Michael Jackson in their back garden. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> 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 well, it's, like, it's like, you know, when... You know, if 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 um, you know they suddenly introduce a tax on legs, yeah, then you know, which you know is not inti- not entirely implausible, <laughs> then um, you know your millipede is going to say, well, look, I'm all, I'm giving fifty legs here. Yeah, you humans, you're only giving one. <laughs> Who is one. suffering more? You know, is the millipede? Su- you know, he's contributing more legs to the pot. <laughs> Yes. But, you know, he can probably afford 50 legs. He's still got lots of legs, whereas I am falling over. Well, so, so is he if you take 50 from the same side. I reckon he can work with it, then. I didn't realise the leg tax involved giving a leg. I was, I was oh, yeah, assuming that's how ta- you had to pay a surcharge to keep your legs. Oh, well, there's always loopholes, aren't there? <laughs> I just thought tax on legs was Theresa May's nickname. Oh! <laughs> I, I, I want to try and move from there to, to JFK, but if you can think of a way of doing that neatly, I'll bite your arm off. It was 50 years this week. I'm surprised they didn't give it more coverage, perhaps. And do you know what else went completely unremarked? The 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. You'd think the BBC might have made a bit of a fuss about that, rolled out a few, a few barrels. Also, it was the 25th anniversary of there being a load of 25th anniversary of JFK shooting <laughs> programs. That's all I think. I always remember where I was. <laughs> when I saw the programmes about the 25th anniversary of Kennedy's shooting. 
do we, do, we, do we know if they went big on the 50th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's assassination? Would that, when would that have been? Oh, no, I think they had a theatre festival. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that story? I mean, he was hooked on amphetamines. Talking about uh, Rob... Ah, that's how I should have done it, isn't it? <laughs> Rob Ford, mayor of Toronto. JFK was also hooked on amphetamines and, and was a huge womanizer, and yet the press didn't report on any of that. Fifty years later, there's still a sort of canonization process going on. Whereas he, he was on his way to becoming the American Berlusconi, <laughs> but he was luckily, luckily prevented from getting old enough. <laughs> to become that. Th except that, they wouldn't have reported it 50 years ago. That, 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 that has changed. Uh, if I'd been on the ball, I could have knitted all of this together, the mm. way that things get reported. Um, so we're back to the Paul Flowers story and the bank, man the bank manager's proclivities, the bank chairman's proclivities being on the front page. And then you've got the, the mayor in Toronto, who probably could have kept all of that secret, because only 50 years ago, another North American senior politician, a bit more senior than the mayor of Toronto, I grant you, he was the leader <laughs> of the free world, JFK. But, but none of it was known while he was alive. Um, uh, Podrick, this is, in a sense, you're, you're sort of mm -hmm. one of your many fields of expertise. What, what has changed? <laughs> what, what's I think the person who laughed was the same I'm person who clapped when we mentioned your name, so that's forgivable. <laughs> that's, cle that's clearly an affectionate guffaw from the corner of the room. What, what, what has changed quite so dramatically in 50 years that now a politician with anything in their closet would pretty much expect to have it exposed, and, and then when you could achieve the highest office in the, in the free world with well, I mean, several closets full of scandals. I think, uh, contrary to you know, possibly popular opinion, I think the newspapers have got a lot better. Um, oh. you know, 50, 60 years ago, God, you read old news coverage. It's tedious, beyond belief. You know, there's an old joke when I was starting out in journalism about you know, how interviews used to finish generally start with ministers or anything you'd like to inform us of. Yes. Um, it's just yeah. astonishing. And, and the, the level of deference, but also, you know, speaking specifically of Kennedy... Um, and not to speak ill of the dead, I'm, of course, wonderful man and, you know, first Irish Catholic millionaire to achieve anything. You know, to, to come from those lowly heights of East Coast elite millionaire um, and buy an election um, was, was astounding and inspiration to us all. Um, maybe, yeah. But I think we've, we've got a lot better at going after wrong-uns, um, essentially. Um, and, but you, you look at the, the, the remarkable string of... Um, you know, people talk about the curse of the Kennedys. The remarkable string of luck the Kennedys had, basically, that anyone took them seriously. You know, and, and partly that does come from... I think, to be fair, that run of luck did run out fairly spectacularly <laughs> <laughs> when, when both seams of the family well, got assassinated. I mean, this is, I mean, I think no one's had a normal, yeah. normal death, have they, in the Kennedys? Just no one sort of went out due to type 2 diabetes. <laughs> or old age. It's like Roman emperors. There was, a, I think, a, a stage of about 150 years in, the Ro in, the history, in um, ancient Rome where only one emperor out of, I don't know, about 40 died of natural causes. Now, that, that is proper politics. Isn't it? Like, <laughs> you know, that, then we'd get the right people getting into politics. If there was that level of mortal threats hanging over you, you'd have to really, really believe in your principles to still go into it. What, what, what sort of things were doing for them? Oh, Matt, just lots of assassinations, poisoning, poisoning and stabbings, and, uh, you know, the works, you know, suspicious enough. car crashes, claims <laughs> uh, <laughs> <planes laughs> going down, you know. I do, I, Nick Doody, I do wonder, though, whether part of the reason why we now have p politicians in, in public life like, I, off the top of my head, and, and for reasons of balance, if you said Jeremy Hunt, my, Michael Gove, Ed Miliband, and Ed Balls, um, is, is partly because... I, I, scandal 
and excitement, charisma and personality often, often go hand in hand. So without the scandal, you sacrifice the charisma. Yeah, the thing about... I, I quite like that. I don't know why anyone's sniggering. I think this is a really pertinent you, point. You said those four names slowly enough that I envisaged them as the village people. As you <laughs> <laughs> but you don't. You get the politicians you deserve. So Podrick describes the newspapers getting tougher and going after people and always going after wrongans. But arguably the political landscape in this country today, not in Toronto, suggests that, that either you're a wrongan or you're boring. I mean, there's, there's very yeah, little and, middle and, ground. And we prefer the wrongans, judging by the fact that Boris Johnson is the mayor of London. Yes. You know, people go, well, at least he says what he thinks. Yeah, but what he thinks is awful. <laughs> um, Andy, do you, are you troubled that the rapacious journalism of 21st century Britain has created a, a political class that is dull? Well, no, I think the greater concern with the political class is that it's, they're all sort of 40 and have never done a proper day's work in their life and from a very limited social background. And I say this as a 39-year-old, <laughs> privately educated... <laughs> now, how am I not in the Cabinet? It, it can only be anti-Semitism. That is the only <laughs> possible I, explanation. I, but then again, you know... As you say, you know, exciting politicians, not always good politicians, as 1930s Europe <laughs> would, uh, would testify, and, 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 and Italy. You know, but Berlusconi, the, you know, the, the highest-profile Italian po- politician that hasn't ended up hanging upside down from a meat hook, and you know, the man who puts the Italia into genitalia. <laughs> <Don't> you, <laughs> you know, Do you know, the further away from, from public prominence Silvio Berlusconi moves, the more every comedian I know loses just a little bit of a spring. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely bottomless well of material. But the the thing is, there are so so many very alive skeletons in his extremely open closet. But he he just, I think even after his death, in, you know, in about 40 years' time, they'll still be when he's died. I think he's due to die at the age of 120. Um, I think There'll be several long... hundred people coming forward claiming to be his children yeah, at some point in the next right. five decades. I think he will not be prepared to die until he has slept with someone who's 100 years younger than him. I think that is, <laughs> that is going to keep him going. He, he also, he doesn't at look like... At least until he's 113. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> he doesn't look... <laughs> Do you, do you think he, lo- he doesn't look like point. he's cremate very easily, does he? <laughs> <laughs> he look like he's just getting more and more leathery. He's already embalmed. Still alive. It's quite... Uh, um, I, I, I was going to talk about antidepressants being on the rise in rich countries, but uh, I, I, sort of, I don't know whether or not you'd have anything to say about that. Is it, is it something that troubles you, <coughs> Tiffany? Well... I just think it, it sounds like an obvious statement, but uh, the rich can afford the antidepressants. In poor countries, they can't. You know, poor people. Mm. I mean, it's not to say existential. You know, existential angst isn't class-based, but uh, you know, poor people self-medicate. It's why we have everyday vodka because <laughs> it's for every day. Is, is that a brand? Yeah, it's part of the essentials range in Tesco's. <laughs> Cooking vodka, basically. You fire it into a spag bowl and you deal with your life and move on. So the people who are starving uh, are not yeah. getting the antidepressants. <laughs> the people over here who haven't yeah, got a I new handbag. Get, I couldn't get any curly kale or balsamic <laughs> vinegar and I just feel a bit shit. Let's undertake a subtle gear change by inviting our back onto the stage, Mr Nick Revel. In September, uh, when Russia arrested everybody on board the Greenpeace vessel Arctic Sunrise for protesting against oil drilling at the North Pole, I think it's fair to say that most of the Earth's population felt 
sincere relief that one of the world's largest military powers had finally found the courage to stand up to the bullying tactics of 30 environmental demonstrators armed with banners. Uh, and at the Climate Change Conference in, in Warsaw this weekend, it's good to see that, uh, that Russia's brave lead ha- has been followed now by the other industrialised nations who for decades have been paying lip service to the need for environmental action and wasting a tremendous amount of energy in public relations exercises like redesigning corporate logos to contain a lot of green <laughs> and ensuring that Nigel Lawson never has to buy his own lunch. Uh, because now, thanks to Russia... Uh, The other nations have grasped the nettle uh, and they're prepared to stop pussyfooting and finally make a definite decision to equivocate openly and indefinitely on combating climate change. Because here's the bottom line. Our economic system cannot survive unless we continue to make the planet less and less capable of sustaining life. Okay, granted it's true that uh, embracing an economic model which rests on the theory of constant growth when we live on a planet of finite resources is logically impossible, but brothers and sisters, we are human beings. When has recognising reality ever figured significantly in any of our plans? I know people who live in this country, for example, that sincerely believe that someday England can win the World Cup again. (laughs) I know other people that think that happiness is possible. (laughs) But anyway, what's the alternative to our present economic system? I'll tell you what it is. Sharing resources more equally and desiring and consuming less. That's what. And is that really any more realistic than living in constant denial? What nobody seems to fully appreciate is that the wholesale environmental collapse of the planet is going to make fantastic TV. The Philippines is just a taster. The next few years are going to be amazing viewing. And as long as you live on a hill or a houseboat and you have enough tinned food stockpiled and a gun, you can put up your feet in front of the flat screen and watch it all come down. The greatest show on earth. Live here on Sky since we lost the Champions League to BT. Because low-lying countries are going to be disappearing underwater. Millions of powerless, innocent people will have their livelihoods dashed away. Just think of all that heart-rending human tragedy out there, ready to be commoditized into incredible potential for a new generation of big charity fundraiser global spectaculars and for actresses to win Oscars playing grief-stricken mothers. Actresses cast from a whole range of ethnic minorities who never usually get anywhere near the lead role in a Hollywood blockbuster. We are going to see the infrastructures of entire continents collapsing. Law and order disappearing everywhere from Rome to New Zealand, turning into one big episode of the Hunger Games. Imagine what the advertising slots will sell for. More and more refugees desperately trying to reach the smaller and smaller areas of the planet where society still functions in some way. The resentment of the resident population turning to xenophobia and violent fascism as most of us still lucky to be living on dry land compete for zero hours minimum wage contracts against a talking checkout machine. Territorial disputes over drilling rights in in the Arctic will lead to warfare in an entirely new climate zone. And as we know, nothing fuels economic growth like a good war. 
And it'll be different opponents this time. This is the other exciting thing. Canada versus Denmark. Texaco versus Gazprom. The next generation of war films will have an entirely different look. Street fashion will be enriched by a completely new pattern of army surplus camouflage trousers. And by the time The Last of Us are inevitably wiped out, drowned, starved, asphyxiated, burnt up, strangled by desperate, starving migrants as they themselves expire, exhausted in that last futile gesture of vengeance, the Dow Jones will be going through the roof. And yet, in a global recession, brothers and sisters, that is what Greenpeace want to stop, the road to recovery. And that's why we must resist them. Thank you. Nick Revel, ladies and gentlemen. That's what you hear if you play Miley Cyrus's latest song backwards. <laughs> Are you, uh, uh, we missed the twerking then. We should get him back for that. It's <laughs> a premium on the podcast. Um, are, they, are the Russians allowed to arrest 30 activists in international waters, Paul Drigger? Is it... Is it What's yes, the they're of, Russia. <laughs> is that the answer? Yeah, yeah, the Russians can do what the fuck they like. Um, no, technically they're not, actually. I, don't, I think the International Waters Tribunal has said that they're not. But the fact is, what, what are you going to do? I mean, we've, we've seen, you know, over Syria and... Various yeah. Things. yeah. Putin will do what he wants and Putin will get away with it. Hello, come on in, all are welcome. We have something to everyone's taste. From a small glass of gin to enough ketamine that you'll struggle to find your own face. Every sensual need will be sated. You really won't know who to thank. You can treat all your senses as you fiddle your expenses here at the Cooperative Bank. Our competitors offer incentives to lure in the first-time buyers. You never know the lengths that will go to satisfy clients' desires. We can give you the gentle or rough stuff, a tickle, a stroke, or a spank. From self-strangulation to light touch regulation, it's all here at the Cooperative Bank. Can you think of your favourite debauchery, can you? Something for which other club surely would ban you? Like Spit Rose, Prince Harry or Bry the Britannia? It's fair game at the cooperative bank. You can cheat on your wife, make explicit phone calls. The crystal will flow like Niagara Falls. Just remember you never once saw Ed Balls at the cooperative bank. We will treat you with utmost discretion We can burn your receipts or your diaries The fun shouldn't cease Cos West Yorkshire Police want some help with their latest inquiries If you're looking for pleasure unbounded Then we think you've completed your search But if you don't feel the same And you think we're too tame Try next door, it's a Methodist church <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, James Sherwood. This is uh, an important issue facing London at the moment. You'll, you'll forgive me for suggesting that your, uh, your contribution is a little uh, unhelpful. If we were to ban lorries from London streets to stop cycling deaths, can we also ban trains from railways to avoid deaths at level crossings? <laughs> I, 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 it is remarkable handwriting. But, um, Sorry, I didn't know 
And of course, this refers to, to two stories. One, one, I mean, absolutely horrible, but but if we're honest, quite anomalous. The recent carnage on streets involving London cyclists, and the other, which we'll begin with, because it doesn't at the moment. Uh, involve any matters of life and death is, is the fact that tubes are going to open for 24 hours at weekends. Uh, briefly, m m my day job is, is presenting a radio phone-in show and, and in London, so this story broke at 10.30 and we'd all been briefed on the embargo and you genuinely weren't supposed to talk about it until half past 10, so we, we did that. And, and I, I did it live, so I read the press release during the news at half 10 and went on air and then 24-hour tube opening, but because I'd waited and, and observed the embargo, I hadn't read everything. And about about eight minutes into, into the topic, I, I suddenly realised that we should have been talking about 950 people losing their jobs, which was the uh, chapter two, if you will, of all the stuff that had been sent out by City Hall. But if you opened up your newspaper the next day, everybody else had fallen into this trap as well. The tubes are to open for 24 hours on Friday and Saturday nights. So currently, when, when, when is there any young... You're young. What time do the tubes stop running these days? About one o'clock in the morning? So one o'clock in the morning, and then they kick off again at half past five in the morning. So you're talking about nine extra hours of tube trains. Every headline in the country went bonkers for this. 950 people found out that day that they're... Employment well, is no longer secure. They mask the bad story with the good story. Oh, just, it's like never, a page... In such a crass way. I, I mean, I, I, it's a sun page three tactic, isn't it? It's tits, <laughs> something about Syria. That's how, the, yeah. that's well, how the Bible got so popular in the first place as well, I think, isn't it? Basically the same. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. tube is, is that, that is, I think it's a real, I think it's a real problem that Boris... Uh, hasn't uh, particularly solved with his bikes. Um, the real problem hmm. of people who work in central London not being able to get in and out, especially people that work in bars or establishments such as the one we're in, yes. uh, who are missing the last tube home. And let's be honest, the night bus is fucking awful. Yeah, they really no are scary. You're taking your life <laughs> in your own hands, whether it's to be covered in vomit, potentially stabbed, uh, not let on the bus, which has happened to me recently so many times, I actually can't count of where I've not had my Oyster card or it's run out of money and I've not been allowed on the bus because I've got a £5 note mm. because the drivers won't carry cash because they think they're going to get robbed. I mean, that's incredible to me that you can refuse a woman to get on a bus late at night because you can't break a fiver. I can't yeah. understand how you can refuse someone onto a bus when there's not even the means of purchasing a ticket at the bus stop. Well, um, that, that weirdness, that thing of, of how oddly difficult it is to get on a bus if you don't know, already know the system. You know, in London, where there are no people ever visiting from any other country, <laughs> why not sack all the humans from the tube station? What a brilliant idea. Yeah. I, you just I, get your Oyster card to say you've got an incomplete journey, and you're like, I'm not looking for spiritual guidance. I don't have Oyster card. <laughs> who who arrives with an Oyster road. card? It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I, I had no idea this would prove so febrile. It's, uh, the, the other element of the transport story, which is, is, is more serious, of course, is the, is the cycling issue. Briefly, one at a time, Andy Zaltzman, we'll start with you. Where do you think the vitriol comes from? It's a, it's a two-way vitriol. It's perfectly easy to find a, an obnoxious cyclist, just as it is to find a, a writer, a, a motorist, who is I mean, just hateful in well, their attitude to cyclists. This isn't the case in other cities. Where does that actual depth uh, of dislike Well, come I mean, from? they have other divisions in other cities. I mean, you know, take Jerusalem, for example. I mean, it's not <laughs> cyclists and non-cyclists, but, you know, we all... Lots of cities have, you know, similar <laughs> parallel problems. A lot of it comes down to people thinking that they have God's permission to do what they do, which is um, uh, how yeah. a lot of lorry drivers seem to drive. Yes. So um, it's, uh, it's a cultural thing, and we, we haven't... We haven't 
historically made any effort to make cycling safe. That's and, the bottom line. And now it is well, it is a logistical nightmare. Mm. I mean, you know, painting a bit of blue on a road is not the same as building uh, a road for bicyclists. So yeah. uh, it's uh, you know, how are you going to do that in London without spending billions of pounds that could be much better spent on um, tax breaks for to, to stop big companies running off to the Cayman Islands? So um, uh, it's partly a question of prioritisation and partly a question of awkward logistics and it'd be hard to sell I mean, yeah. and also the thing is you know the olympics is finished now so we've done all we need to do for physical activity for another <laughs> ge- another two <laughs> generations need to do it now they've had their chance the people who like using bicycles well, the they've dutch- got a fucking velodrome <laughs> you know, what more do they want <laughs> the dutch have got it they right should they should let lorries they? on the velodrome yes, the dutch the dutch have the dutch- got it right <laughs> <laughs> the Dutch, the Dutch really take care of their stuff. Well, they get priority, they get right of way, don't they? And Got people are less lights. angry because. <laughs> uh, so maybe that's we just need to get a little bit more stoned, um, and uh, you know maybe everyone will just chill out a bit, guys. You, you mentioned you mentioned the Olympics, Andy. The, the 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 story. Had I been a member of the audience, that I would have wanted to to bring to your attention this half would be Rebecca Adlington's plight in the jungle. I, I, I'm not going to presume that any of you have watched I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. <laughs> 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 that, yes, that jungle. The, um, the, 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 the double gold medalist, four-time Olympic medalist, breaking down in tears every 20 minutes because she's not conventionally gorgeous. And, and it's amazing how it's divided opinion. Lots of people pointing out fairly that she can't really have been taken by surprise by the fact that there was a, a glamour model stroke beauty queen turning up in the jungle as well. That's about the only... That and the cockroach is the only thing you can be absolutely certain <laughs> of with I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. But, but the fact that someone so successful and so brilliant at what they do can still be crippled by issues of body image, as, as, uh, I find that remarkable. Uh, yeah, it's quite depressing, really. Profoundly it? depressing. But, um, um, yeah, so... Yeah, but down but with but it. <laughs> yeah, down with negative body image issues. But um, I, 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 um, I think it's the, what I'm surprised by is that someone like that would be would because someone who's not yeah, quite a very good glamour model or someone who wanted to be a beauty queen but didn't quite make it, you'd understand. But a gold medal Olympic medalist who looks at a, a beauty queen and feels inadequate next to her staggered it me. It's because she's taken around, pot shots for the way she looks, though. Yes, so of yeah. course she's going to feel that and feel affected by that if if people are attacking your looks. Yeah, you know? I'm much more cross with her because she only got a bronze at the London Olympics. You know. <laughs> two, two after, bronzes. T- after all the funding I personally gave her indirectly through taxation, she should have got at least a gold. She's let me down, personally. I, I, I read an interview um, <laughs> recently with, um, with Laura Trott, the, um, the, the cyclist who, who is you know, a, a brilliant cyclist, gold medalist, and also you know, a very, you know, very, very pretty woman. Um, and she had said quite specifically to, that she had specified to, because obviously, you know, she does have an agent and yeah. does have to deal with, um, you know, these people, you know, professional track cyclists don't actually make a lot of money. Um, but so there has to be other promotion stuff. And she had said she'd specified her agent that she refused to even have her name put forward for, like, the FHM 100 sexiest list or anything like this. And I thought that, that was just... <clears throat> such an it's such an inspiring Refreshing. thing for her to say yes. that, that that's not my job. My job is to be really, really, really good at cycling. Everything else, and if I get recognition for that, great. I don't want recognition for anything else. And as 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 you said, I mean, Tiffany said, I mean, the you know the problem the problem that Rebecca Adlin is is that 
you know, she gets an enormous amount well, of... Well, Mary Beard. There's, there's no one that's yeah. strong enough to withstand a battering from people that has nothing to do with what you do as a job. Yeah. Fuck off. Lay off. It's got yeah. nothing to do with what she does, how she looks. She's a woman at the front of her profession and she should be applauded constantly, regularly, you know. But, Even but like Susan Boyle, when t- people take cheap But women do it as well. It's women do it as well. Women join in as well. Let me say, because uh, <laughs> I, I found that very moving, and I, and in solidarity with Laura Trott, I'm also going to refuse to allow myself to be <laughs> for the FHM Sexiest 100 this year. It's time to give someone else a chance. Time is against us, so a final, final uh, question. We're also going to have to indulge in, in collective mind wipe and pretend that the last three days um, haven't happened and, and turn our attention back to the first day of the cricket in Australia. The attacks on Stuart Broad in the Australian press drew a magnificent performance out of him on, on the first day of the test. A cricketer got attacked metaphorically and responded by being brilliant so what would the panel or how would the panel criticize themselves uh, or someone else in order to to goad a better performance so what what insult would be most likely to backfire on you andy oh well, uh, i mean I, I don't have to you know i don't have to imagine this particularly the first uh, review i ever had as a comedian was from the observer newspaper who described me as grindingly mediocre <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, I am going to prove that I, I am just, just ordinarily mediocre. I'm not grinding. Nothing grinding. Uh, Tiffany? Oh, I don't know. I'd probably, I probably... I, I think the same thing as Andy. As a, as a comedian, our egos are fragile enough as it is. And sometimes you have to not let the criticism of other people in because if, <coughs> if, if you did you would never set foot out onto a stage mm. uh, yeah, it's again quite, it's quite hard to not let that criticism out when it's coming from 400 Mancunians yeah. <laughs> s- sitting drunk in Christmas parties across a comedy club <laughs> yeah. there have been times in my life where I've felt kicked and actually when i felt a bit kicked normally being a woman in comedy because it's not always easy I've actually come back and gone, do you know what? This is what will make me better. Because yeah. I just have to be so much better than the rest of you to get ahead, um, just by virtue. Fair <laughs> um, oh, thanks. Um, I think you've got the most rounds of applause tonight, so we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Paul Jake, what would, what would be the uh, uh, catalyst for your there's, self-improvement? There's, there's one that always sticks with me. I'll, I'll have to put this in context slightly. Um, as, as James has pointed out, my, my, my job is... Uh, talk about free expression, which a large amount of time involves defending the indefensible. I'll give an example. My, my f- got a call from from Five Live. <clears throat> um, <laughs> no, the, the inferior talk radio station. Thank you. Obviously, um, and they said, "Could you come on in the morning and defend um, the declassification of of, um, of a film?" And I said, "What film is it?" And he said, they said, oh, it's called Porno Holocaust. Um, <laughs> literally, the first <coughs> public appearance Don't I Don't bring made. up really? Andy's early work. <laughs> <laughs> the f- I once bet on a horse call that. <laughs> <laughs> literally, the first public appearance I made was on, on Nicky Campbell's programme defending Nazi porn as perfectly okay. I, I don't know how to a respond co- to a that. A couple of years... Uh, uh, rec- recently, recently, I was in a pub with a, with a, with a friend of mine who was, um, you know, that most terrible thing, a big deal on Twitter. Um, and he was talking about the various Twitter storms he'd been through and people who'd attacked him and all this. And I said, well, that's never really happened to me, ever. Um, and he said, really? And then he thought about it and he was like, yeah, but 
you've never really said anything that controversial, have you? I'm a Nazi porn guy. <laughs> <laughs> you should put that on your profile. The, I'm the Nazi porn guy. There you go. Nick? Uh, what, like an insult? That yeah, would well, just really give me a favourite. Uh, call that a fart? <laughs> uh, I was called a knee-jerk mong by Loaded magazine once. If anyone knows, if anyone knows about knee-jerk mongs, yes. And uh, again, uh, another club uh, hit. <laughs> they played for South Korea in the 1986 World Cup. I think, as well. <laughs> it's a bit ill. <laughs> uh, but of course, Loaded magazine is is now defunct. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's it's the last no show. Funk in it. <laughs> that is the last show of 2013, ladies and gentlemen, and and our last show here at the Soho Theatre. We'd like to take this opportunity, Alistair, Nick, and I, as, as well as all our, our regular contributors, to f- thank the fantastic front of house staff and all the technicians for all their hard work over the last two years. We are next year moving to Hull. No, we're not. We're delighted to announce that from January, the show will be recorded at the Phoenix in Cavendish Square, just around the corner from Oxford Circus on the last Sunday of every month. Uh, And we'll be back at our our usual time. So for full details, please go to nopressuretobefunny.com, follow us on Twitter, join the Facebook group, or uh, and tell your friends. Uh, Until then... Please join me in thanking this week's guests, Tiffany Stevenson, Nick Doody, Pordrick Reedy, Andy Zaltzman and James Sherwood. Also, of course, Nick Revel and Alistair Barry. I'm James O'Brien. Good night. (laughs) 